I want to ask you, how would you define courage? I just want you to think about that in your mind. How would you define courage? I, I want to give to you a few scenarios that may or may not define courage. If you're a basketball fan, this last, these last uh, few days, you've been enjoying some of that. Uh, Friday's Michigan-Indiana basketball game. The score was tied, not 69 to 69. Michigan had the ball. The, the clock was winding down. The ball went to the into the corner to a fellow named Cham or Cam Chapman. He was in the game because the starter had fouled out, and so he's a substitute. And the ball comes to him, and and it's I mean it's time to shoot the ball. He did shoot the ball, and he drained it for the win. Was that courage? You know, in the world of sports, that was courage to be willing to take the last shot. How about this scenario? It was 4.30 in the morning, Saturday morning, and I was awakened by my wife who said these words, Kevin, somebody is in the house. And I, I heard that and I said, somebody's in the house. And I jerked the covers off and I bounded out of bed and I ran to the bedroom door. And I don't think I've moved that fast in years. I don't know that I had that still in me. But I was at the bedroom door and I was ready to open the door and I was ready to take on whoever was in the house. And here I am standing there in my underwear... But I am ready to take them on. And she says to me next, Kevin, it was a dream. <laughs> is that courage or is that insanity? I don't know which one. <laughs> How about this? My mind drifts to Mel Gibson in the movie The Patriot. You remember the movie? He's leading the charge up the hill of his ragtag militia group against General Cornwallis' British army. And, and he's got the flag and he is charging up the hill and he is calling for his fellow soldiers to follow him into the battle and to not retreat. And certainly to me that is a picture of Kurt. Just a couple of weeks ago, President Obama presented our country's highest medal to Edward Byers, Jr., a Navy SEAL. I have a picture of him here. He displayed extreme courage in rescuing an American hostage from the Taliban in 2012. That's courage. Courage is a rare commodity. And we need more courage. I want to read to you from Acts chapter 4, verse 13. When they saw, and they are the Sanhedrin council, that's who the they is referring to, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Let me define the word courage for you from the original language 
in the Bible. It means this, freedom in speaking. Unreservedness in speaking. To speak openly, frankly, without concealment or ambiguity. Free and fearless confidence. In our text, Peter and John had great courage. In fact, as we look back over chapter 3 of Acts and then into chapter 4 of Acts, we can see how that courage was manifested. They indeed had a fearless confidence. And for the most part, it seems like it's Peter who is the spokesman for the two of them. That shouldn't surprise us. That was Peter's nature. He was always the spokesman for the group. Sometimes that was good. Sometimes that wasn't so good. But in these instances, chapter 3 and 4 of Acts, it was all good. Peter was at the top of his game in these two chapters to a point that his listeners were astonished at him. They were amazed at him. And so for a few moments this morning, I want us to go back through these two chapters, chapters 3 and 4 of Acts, and take note of Peter's courage. Chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to follow along with me. We're looking at several verses in these two chapters. Reading from the NIV this morning, uh, chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. And 15. This is Peter speaking to the Jewish people. He says, You disown the Holy and Righteous One and ask that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. Now that's pretty bold and straightforward. Of Peter. I don't think the people went away that day saying, you know, I'm really not sure what Peter was trying to say to us. No. They knew exactly what he was trying to say to them. He was saying to them, you killed the Son of God. Look at chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Now, brothers, I know of you, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Now, let me ask you does God excuse ignorance? No, he does not. Verse 19. Repent then. And this is, that's, this is proof of what I've just told you. God does not excuse ignorance. For Peter, in this instance, the folks, they acted in ignorance. They crucified the Son of God. And he is telling them then, in verse 19, he says, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Now, I want to come back to this verse later in the sermon and talk about repentance. Because Peter is, in this instance, he isn't just condemning his listeners for what they have done. Rather, he is he's showing them the way out. He is telling them how they can be forgiven and set free from their sin. That's very important. But let me... 
before we focus on this subject of repentance, let me continue to show you instances here of Peter's courage. Chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. He's still speaking. He says, For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. How important is it that one listens to Jesus? Very important. Moving into chapter 4, the Sanhedrin show up. Peter has been preaching to the Jewish people and now all of a sudden the Sanhedrin show up and they are not happy about what Peter is saying. Verse 2 says, they are greatly disturbed. Verse 3 says, they seized Peter and John because it was evening and they put them in jail until the next day. And so here we have the very first instance of persecution to the apostles for preaching the truth about Jesus. But we see that a night in jail does not intimidate them in the least little bit. They are not uh, caused to rethink their position. Instead, at the next morning, they are brought before the Sanhedrin council. Keep in mind, this is the council that condemned Jesus to death. The high priest is there. All of his family members are gathered there. I mean, this is the who's who of Jerusalem. This would be like you and me going before the Supreme Court justices of the United States and knowing that they were not happy with us. It was an intimidating situation, you would think, for two untrained, uneducated fishermen, but... They were not intimidated even a little bit. Look at chapter 4 of Acts, verses 8 through 12. Now, Peter is speaking to the Sanhedrin. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple, and are asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the capstone. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. You talk about speaking without concealment or or ambiguity. (laughs) Peter, in this instance, was about as straightforward as he could be. And note from from the text, it says he was filled with the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that here in a few moments too. Look at chapter 4 of Acts verses 18 through 20 as we continue to see the courage of Peter. Then they called them in again. This is the Sanhedrin. They're calling Peter and John in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Christ. 
But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourselves whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. That's free and fearless confidence. What is it that happened to Peter that he could be this courageous? Keep in mind, this is the same guy who just a few weeks earlier melted in the presence of a young servant girl who accused him of being connected with Jesus. You you remember that? Jesus has been arrested. They have taken him into Pilate's house. And Peter has followed at a distance. And so Peter gets into the courtyard. And uh, he is trying to be invisible. He's trying to be incognito. He doesn't want people to see him. He certainly doesn't want people to know who he is. He wants to stay close enough that he can keep track of Jesus and what is happening to him. And so there's a group of of soldiers and just people in the courtyard and it's a it's a rather chilly evening and they have built a fire and they have gathered around the fire and so Peter joins them there just warming themselves by the fire he sits down there amongst the group and the servant girl looks at him and she says I know who you are This man was with Jesus. You remember Peter's response? Luke chapter 22, 57 says, He denied it. He said this, Woman, I don't know him. Two more times that would happen where he was charged with knowing Jesus, with being connected to Jesus, and each time he denied it. He said, I don't know this man. And now, in Acts, just a few weeks later, they can't shut him up. What happened to him? Why the change in him? I'll tell you what happened to him. Peter has met the resurrected Christ and it changed him completely. I've got good news for you this morning. The resurrected Jesus can change you too. He can change all of us if we come face to face with Him and spend time with Him. I wonder, what changes does He want to help you with? What changes need to happen in your life? Whatever changes need to happen, the resurrected Jesus can help you with those changes. The verse that I read to you earlier as I began the sermon, it says, they recognized Peter and John as having been with Jesus. That's what changed them. And that can change anybody in this case it changed peter from being fearful to being fearless it changed him from being weak in spirit to being strong in spirit it changed him from being a pushover to being a rock in the early church 
I think there are two other things that helped change Peter and that gave him this courage that we're talking about today. The fact that he has been with Jesus and two, the fact that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. When we let the Holy Spirit come into us and we surrender ourselves to Him, then there should be some changes that are obvious to those who are looking on. The Holy Spirit has the power to change us and to give to us courage. Let me read to you Acts chapter 4, verse 29, and then verse 31. And we'll see this to be true. It says, now Lord, this is, this is Peter and this is John. This is the Christians. They've gathered together. It says, now Lord, consider their threats and enable your spirit or your servants to speak your word with great boldness. So there's a prayer there. They're praying for boldness. Look at verse 31. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly. And so we see the role of the Holy Spirit in giving us courage or boldness as it's called here. It's the same word in the original language and we see the role of prayer. That's the third thing that helps us to have courage. If you spend time in the prayer closet and you specifically ask God to help you be bold, He will help you be bold. He will help you have a confidence to speak His Word to others. So, I, I'm, I'm hoping you're following me this morning. We're, we're saying there are three things that happened for Peter that helped him to have courage. And those three things were as follows. One, he spent time with the resurrected Jesus. Two, he was filled up with the Holy Spirit. And three, he specifically prayed to God for both. Do you need more boldness? Do you need more courage in your Christian life? Then I suggest to you that you take a look at those three things and how that applies to you. That you would spend time with the resurrected Jesus. That you would, you would call for the Holy Spirit to come and fill you up and you know what that means? That means you need to die to yourself. Because He cannot fill up a vessel that is full of self. And so we have to empty ourselves of self. We have to die to self so that the Holy Spirit can come and fill us up. And then we need to pray specifically to God that He would give to us courage. You know, too often for me, I don't know about for you, but too often I'm lacking courage. Too often I'm hesitant. Too often I'm fearful to speak His Word. He wants us to have His courage. You know, think about this. We speak up boldly about our favorite team, don't we? <laughs> and, and this is a weekend that that a lot of us, we, we're KU 
fans and we've watched them do well in the tournament. In fact, I was up there Friday night at Friday's game and had such a good time. And I mean blue everywhere. And people standing on their feet just yelling at the top of their lungs unashamedly conveying their allegiance to their favorite team. We are not ashamed of our favorite team. But you know, something is out of kilter if we are that way about our favorite team, but we're ashamed to talk about Jesus. And so that's why we need to pray this prayer. Lord, would You give me more courage? Would You grow me in boldness? Would You help me to be consumed with You to such a point that I cannot keep quiet about You? I mean, that's that's what the key is right there, I think. That we need to be so filled up with Jesus that we just can't help but talk about Him. Isn't that how we are when when we're talking sports and we're talking our favorite team, that we, we're just so excited. We watch them and we're into, we know the players and, and we're, we're looking and we're, we're, we're glad when they win and we're disappointed when they lose and we are filled up with them. Why? Why should it not also be the same way with Jesus Christ that we are so filled up with Him, that we are so maxed out with Him that we just can't help but talk about Him. Lord, give us courage. For a moment, let's go back to this subject of repentance that Peter spoke about to the Sanhedrin. As I said earlier, he didn't just nail these people to the wall and leave them there. No, He told them how they could be set free from their sins. He said in verse 19 of chapter 3, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. You know what I see in this verse? I see our responsibility and I see God's promise. We have a responsibility given to us by God, and that is to repent of our sins. In this case, those who were listening to Peter needed to repent of what they had done to Jesus. And and I think the same could be true for us today. We need to repent of what we have done to Jesus too. Because our sins are against Him. When, When we lie, when we lose our temper, when we when we uh, are impatient, when we gossip, those sins are against Jesus. And so we need to repent of those sins. We need to be sorry to Jesus for our sins. And you know what that means? It means to confess those sins to Him and ask Him to forgive us. It means to turn away from those sins, to have a change of heart and mind. To repent means to die to self. How important is repentance? 
Luke 13, 3, Jesus said, unless you repent, you too will all perish. Acts 17, 30 says, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. Hear me say this, repentance is absolutely necessary if you want to go to heaven. You can't get there without repentance. We must do this. It's not a suggestion from Jesus, it is a command that must be obeyed. It is our responsibility. And you know, as we fulfill our responsibility to Him, He has a promise for us. You remember what His promise is? He says that our sins will be wiped out and times of refreshing will come. We're talking every sin that we have ever committed in our whole life will be gone. Isaiah 1.18 says, Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Micah chapter 7, verse 19 says, You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all of our iniquities into the depths of the sea. That's what God will do with our sins as we give them to Him. He is so forgiving if we will turn away from our sins. Peter talked, too, about times of refreshing that will come. When the burden of sin is lifted, it is refreshing. It is so freeing. I saw an article a few weeks ago about Chris, the overgrown sheep. Are you familiar with this story? Uh, An Australian hiker was out in the bush and he saw something very strange against the backdrop of green grass and and brown brush. It was as if a cloud had fallen from the heavens or a cotton ball had taken steroids. It turned out to be an overgrown sheep. And the hiker called for a rescue team to come to this animal. They, and he, he named him, in the meantime, Chris. Apparently, what they figured out, this sheep had wandered away from his flock and it's figured that he had been out in the bush on his own for five to six years, and somehow he had survived. His wool had grown to such a point that he looked like this. (laughs) I mean, he, he was rescued, and they sheared him of 89 pounds of wool, which turned out to be a world record that absolutely shattered the old record. And, and the article that I was reading said that the, the amount of wool that they had taken from this sheep was enough that they could make 30 men's suits from it. That's Chris. <laughs> but his wool was useless 
because the quality of his wool was so poor. I, I want you to think about, you know, this, this sheep out in the bush, wandering around, what kind of junk he would have caught into his wool. What, the cockaburs, the, the, the brush, the leaves. All of that entangled in his wool. You know, in the Bible, you and I are said to be like sheep. When we wander from the Good Shepherd, we began to, we began to acquire all this extra baggage over time, don't we? And it, and it weighs us down. If we don't get help, we will perish. The authorities said this, this sheep wouldn't have lasted another few weeks because of the weather that was coming that was warm the warm weather was coming no way he could have lasted can you imagine the burden lifted when they got this sheep and they sheared him of those 89 pounds can you imagine the burden lifted that's what I think Peter was talking about in Acts 3:19 when he says times of refreshing will come after we repent. Our sins are wiped away and the burden of sin will be lifted from us and we will feel like a brand new man or woman and that is exactly what we will be in Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, have you repented of your sins? Giving them to the Savior who died for you? something we should be doing every day. But if there's one here today who's never initially repented of their sins, who's never said to Jesus as they bow their knee to Him, Lord, I am a sinner. I need You. I've made a mess of my life. I want to give my sins to You. Would You please forgive me? I'm sorry for my sins. If you've never done that, He is inviting you to come. And repent of your sins. And those of us who have given our life to Jesus Christ, this is something we should be doing every day. We should be examining our life. This is something we do as we gather around the Lord's table every Sunday. We examine our life and we repent of our sins. We turn from our sins. We give them to Him. We confess and we ask for forgiveness. And that's when times of refreshing come. And we need that. Let's pray together. God, thank You for Your Son Jesus. Thank You for the times of refreshing that are offered to us by His amazing grace. That we can have our sins forgiven the burden of sin lifted. Thank you. In the blessed name of Jesus.